All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Uh, we're going to start a new series, and uh, actually a new kind of like theme that we'll be going through. It'll take us a while to, to work through this. And as you're turning, I just want to give you a couple of announcements. One, to continue, a reminder to continue to pray for Katie. Katie is in Israel. She sent some updates and stuff. So if you want to talk to Pam about some of the pics that she sent and some of the things that she's been able to do so far over in Israel, that would be great. She's going to give us an update when she comes back as a part of one of our worship services when we can get her back over here from school. And then also, just to, got, just to let you guys know, uh, just an announcement that uh, Miss Ann Walton's uh, sister has passed away this week. So if any of you might want, to be able to, might want to be able to get in touch with her this week and stuff like that and let her know that you're, you're thinking of her and stuff during this time. Um, as you turn in your Bible, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 38 through 42. It's a familiar story, but the theme that we're going to be talking about this morning is really the gospel and how we approach the gospel. The gospel is what? Does anybody know what gospel means? What does gospel mean? Good news, good news. So what we're going to be talking about is a new year. We're going to be talking about the news that matters the most, all right? As we talk about the news that matters the most, we're going to look at it as how uh, not only it affects uh, uh, the, the body of Christ, but us individually, and then what it means as it permeates through us through into the world. And so we're going to take a look at that through some statements to begin with that Jesus makes. We're, not, we're going to get there, but it's going to take me a couple of weeks to get there. We're going to look at these seven I am statements that Christ makes uh, in the book of John about who he is, all right? And so we'll look at those more intently and in depth. So that's where we're going to go over the course of the next few weeks and months and actually probably all the ways it leads us up and into Easter, all right? So this morning we're talking about this story about two sisters, and this is what the Scripture says. It says, Now they were traveling along, and they entered into the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Now let's put this in perspective. This is Mary and Martha, and then later on we'll learn that this is also Lazarus, the brother so look, this is an inner circle part or beginning of an inner circle relationship that people uh, bond with Christ over the, over the time of his ministry and his walk. So these two ladies and her brother become a very important part. The city is actually Bethany, which is outside the city of Jerusalem, just a few miles away, all right? So this is the home that they're entering into and who was uh, seated at the Lord's feet. So Mary is seating at the Lord's feet, sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, that which is not taken away from her. All right? So, so we got two sisters, all right? When we come into the house and you've got one, she's just loafing around. She goes to the feet of Jesus Christ and she just sits down, right? And one's up doing all the work. So that's the way that we can look at this, and that's perspective probably most of us would take as far as we, as we thought about this from our human side, okay? From our humanity side, we look at this from that perspective and we say, looks like Martha's the one that's getting it done. Mary's just sitting around. But Jesus rebukes Martha and says that Mary is concentrating only on the one thing. See, this is what happens to us. We talked about this in the fall as we led up into our Christmas time together and before we got into the messages that, that, that dealt with that in perspective and in-depthly about Christ. We were talking about priorities and we were talking about where things fall in our lives. And really what happens is things begin to intersect or get in the way between us and our relationship with God. See, Mary was focused on the one thing, the one most important thing. She was focused intently on Christ. He was in the room. She had his full undivided 
undivided attention. Now I want you to think about this when you come to church on Sunday morning. You got stuff, right? You got stuff going on. You want to see each other. Y'all want to talk and chat. Very evident by the 10 minutes handshake time that we have going on here every Sunday. But, but think about this. What's the real reason that we come here? Do we come here to see each other? Do we come here to fellowship? Or do we come here to what? Hear what God's Word says to us and how He's going to speak to us. Are we prepared for what He's going to say to us that morning? Have we done what it takes to get ourselves ready to be in the house of the Lord and actually open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we might see and hear and have are we really intently listening when people are speaking to us, even if we're fellowshipping and they're telling us things that are going on in our life? Are we really intently listening or are we just going, hey, I got enough problems on my own. I really don't want to hear your stuff. You see, we can get caught up by all the distractions of what's going on in our life. And see, this is what's going on with Martha right now. Martha's caught up in all that stuff. And then what happens immediately in Martha's mind and in her heart is that she gets upset. She gets upset and becomes perturbed because she, it looks like she's the only one that is what? Working or doing anything. So here's what I want you to see today. It's not what we do or how we do it. The gospel is not up to us on what we do or how we do it. And see, that's, that's a hard thing for us. Look, that's a hard thing ministerially for someone. You're judged by, when you go and you, and, you, and you put in a application for a job, they want you to fill out of that either physically or they want you to send them a what? What is it? That we, a resume. What is the resume? The resume is everything about you, about you who, who you are personally, and about what you have what? Done and accomplished, where you've been going. And so God doesn't care about our resume. He, he knows everything about us. So it's not about who we are, or I mean, as, as us physically, but it is about, and it's not about what we've done. In other words, we can't go up to the Lord and we say, hey, I've accomplished all these things, or I'm doing all these things. And it's not how we do it. Now look, this is big in Baptist life. I don't know where your background's from, all right? But it's huge in Baptist life. I remember going to a conference one time, and look, I get this, I get this. And there was a huge choir at the conference. And there's choir singing all of these old hymns that we used to sing. And the speaker got up, and the first thing that came out is he said, this is how we're going to do it in heaven. Or this is what we're going to sing in heaven. And I'm like, have you been there? Have you had conversations with the Lord? Is this really, do you think we're all going to be robed in the choir? And this is how we're going to, see, we like a music style. And we're willing to what? Go to battle for that music style. It's not what we do, and it's not how we do it. God is reaching people right now through, through churches that don't even have worship in the sense of a, a music minister and sing songs on Sunday mornings. God is reaching people this morning in traditional churches with choir, road choirs and hymns. God is reaching people today, this morning, in churches with guitars and amplifiers, drums, sound systems, lights, all kinds of different things. So it's not how we do it that makes it happen. It is about God. So see, Martha is sitting here, and she's concentrating on what she is doing, and then she's also concentrating on how she is doing it. She's not only thinking about the fact that she's the only one doing the work, she's the only one that thinks that she's doing the work right. Right? 
And that's us. We think as churches that we're the, we've got the Christian market cornered. Because we worship God the way God is meant to be worshipped. Well, you know what? There are people all throughout the world worshiping God in different ways, shape, formats, and fashions, under the monikers of different denominations. And God is blessing all of that. So how in the world can we think that we know everything about God? We don't. This is what we do. We, think, we see things a certain way, and then we transpose those back up to God as righteousness. God deems what we do is righteous by his accord, not by our, our accord. So if you stroked a check this morning and you gave a tithe, you may look at yourself and think that you're righteous. You're not before God. God is looking at your life not only for your finances, but physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally how you come to him. So he's looking at your heart. You may have the ability to give all of that. He once told us through Scripture that a woman gave all that she had, which was basically a couple of pennies, and she had given more than anybody else in the room. Now, financially speaking, two pennies aren't enough to rub together. I picked them up off the ground this past week. I was walking out of Walmart, and there was change all over the ground. I was like, it's Christmas. You know what I mean? I'm picking up dimes and quarters and nickels and pennies, and I'm like, did anybody see me? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And it went into my change jar. I'm like, I was blessed today. I found change all over the ground. So we look at our lives that way and we start thinking about an amount. An amount. I think I've used this illustration here once before, but you know, there used to be a commercial for one of the retirement companies. And what they did is they had you walk around with a number. Do you remember that? The commercial had the people walking around, and they said, what's your number? What's your number that you need to retire? How much money will it be but until you're satisfied? Honestly, you can just keep giving it to me. I'm good. Just keep coming. There's not a number that I need to think that I've achieved something. See, we want to work towards that. We want something that we can hold in our hands. Ours is not a work-based faith. Every other faith in the world is a work-based faith. And this is what God is trying to show to us and reveal to us through these two women. This is the gospel. This is part of the essence of truth. You cannot work your way to heaven. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. There is no one way in the sense of how we do something that gets us there or is the right way. There is one way to heaven, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But the how is all God. God does it through di different messages and through different things and th through different people at different times, different colors, different shapes, different sizes, whether they have stained glass or whether they don't have stained glass. Whether they have a steeple or whether they don't have a steeple, whether they have a worship leader or a true pastor or not a worship leader or not a true pastor, God is doing it. Why? Because it's about Him. Look what Scripture says here. Scripture tells us this over and over. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one would boast. Wow. See, this is one of the major, major issues of the church. 
We're not in competition with 12 stone. The same people that go to 12 stone are not the same people that are going to come here. If people were, are interested in what's going on at 12 stone, they're going to go to 12 stone, and that's okay. Bless 12 stone. And they've been blessed. Or um, pick another, Christ place, another large church. We're not in competition with Christ place. We're not in competition with the Methodists or the Presbyterians. Anybody. We're not in competition with anybody. Why? Because this is not work-based. This is grace. People want to come here because they want to come here. And there's a desire to come here. We think we're, we're fussing and fighting with each other. Because we think we have the true Holy Spirit. Or we think that we have righteous people. Those people over there, they worship like this. This ain't right. That's not for us to decide. We do live in a day and age. And look, we've come out of an age where the majority of all worship was done the same. It was just different flavors. It's like going into Baskin-Robbins and asking for a sugar cone. Sugar cone was all you had. You could get different flavors. All you were doing was getting vanilla and chocolate on a sugar cone. But today, you can walk into Baskin-Robbins and you can get a sugar cone or you can get a cup or you can get it put with all kinds of sprinkles and stuff on the top of it, and you can get... It's done so many different ways, right? But it's still a scoop of ice cream going in there, and there's still different flavors of it. You just can get it served to you in a bunch of different ways. That's what's going on in the church today. You can get worship delivered to you in many, many different ways. Many different forms and fashions. And God is in... I'm not saying all of it because God is left out of some of it. But if God is in it, it's going to be blessed. And so we can't sit back and think that we're in competition for people who are lost with everybody else. Or that we're in competition for those who are saved to get them to come and be a part. That's not the gospel. We're going to look at this next week. The gospel is identity. And so as we as individuals and we as a church, we need to find our identity. And then you know what? When we find our identity, people are going to be attracted to this place because of who we are in Christ. Ooh. And then, look. I don't know how to say this. It's going on the internet, so I don't want to offend anybody. But... It, it, it makes me upset that when we think of a church, we think of one thing. Ooh, that church has a rock and worship ministry. Or that church has the coolest children's department ever. That church has the greatest youth group ever. That church is known for some active senior adults. That church has got the greatest communicator, Mount Salem, ever put on this earth. Y'all know, please know out there that that is a joke. We, the churches are known for that, though, aren't they? What is this church known for? All of us should be known for living the life of Christ and that Christ is the head of the church and that he makes the difference. But we're not known for that. And people flock to churches 
because they have this or that going on. And when we do that, we get caught up in the doing. And let me tell you that, that is wrong. When we think that our worship service every Sunday has to be better than the worship service before because everybody comes because of our rock and work worship service, then we're in the wrong business. And if we think that our children's department each and every month, day, Sunday, uh, year, event, or whatever goes on has to be bigger and better than everybody else to get more people to come, then we're thinking about this the wrong way. Because it's all about the doing at that point. And who's in charge of that? We're in charge of that. And how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this bigger and better? I don't think Billy Graham sat around and thought about how he makes his revivals bigger or better. I think Billy Graham, if you listen to him at year after year after year, thought about sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. And the rooms got bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what happened. It wasn't about how he did it. It wasn't about him at all. It wasn't about work. It was all about Christ. It was all about the power of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 24 says this, For since in the wisdom God in the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you get this here? Look, there's all kinds of folks in the world. And we can say what we want to about them. There are people that don't like our way of life and our thought process. They want to kill us for who we are. There are people socially that would love to wipe us out so that there's nothing left of Christianity in this world, but they will never, ever, ever, ever be able to do it because of the power and the presence of God in the lives of people. They won't be able to do it. You will not crush or destroy God because God's got a plan and God's got a purpose, and you and I are a part of that. And it's not a show it's not a performance. It is a reality. The coolest thing about Christianity to me is to see real life transformation. You know what? Tomorrow and I were talking about this the other day. We don't know what a win is anymore in Christianity. We don't know how to define it. We keep changing it. Is a win a big building that's paid for? Is a win a lot of behinds in the seats? Is a win a big bank account? Is a win baptizing people every week? Is a win a large ministry? Is a win prominence within the community? How is a win defined? What does a win look like? If you're not doing any of those things, are we failing? 
Is the Spirit alive in this place? That's determined by the people that are here. That's not determined by the number of people that are here. It's not determined by all the things that we don't have or do have. It's determined by the people that are here. Do you get that? So if the power and the presence of God is working and active in your life, then God is going to show up here every Sunday. And if God is showing up here every Sunday, He is moving. And if He is moving, then what we see and what we count as a win is actually the result of the move of God. That's what He says here. Now, I took that a long way, and I, I probably translated that a little bit different than what you thought. But he says here, you know, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's heathens out there. There's people of other ethnicities, of uh, different uh, monetary lifestyles. There's different cliques. There's different, you know, today the term would be tribes of people. Every Sunday, almost every Sunday when I lived at the house, <laughs> I gained weight while I lived at the house just to tell you this, and I told you all this the other night as, as well on Wednesday night, but, you know, Publix um, apple fritters are from the pit of hell. They re really are because they're that good. You know what I mean? So every Sunday morning when we lived at the house, I went over to the Publix over here and got me an apple fritter. Every Sunday morning when I'd go get me an apple fritter, I'd pass 25 people on bicycles riding up and down the Atlanta Highway. That's a tribe. And we can look at that and we can say, that's a tribe of heathens because they riding bicycles on Sunday mornings. They should be in church. Or we can say, how can I affect those folks? How can I reach those people? How can we share with them the love of Christ? See, we can point our finger at them or we can think about how we can affect that. You know, Flat Creek is on the lake. And I remember back in the day, everybody used to get mad because everybody's on Sunday instead of being in church was where? On a boat in the lake. So what did Flat Creek start doing? On Sunday mornings, early service was where? On the lake. People drove their boats over, came to the service. You can either point the finger and say they're a bunch of heathens for having boats and going on the lake and get mad at them, or you can go what? Meet them right there. So this is the way we have to look at this. This is what Paul is saying here. They're neither Jew nor Greek when God gets a hold of them. That's basically my translation of how he says this. He says, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Some people think it's foolishness. Some people think it's uh, um, not wise. But it's the message of Christ. It's the word of God. Let's keep reading. 2 Corinthians. Paul says this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry and we have received what we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adultering in the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth. Look, I'm not trying to trick you this morning. I could stand up here and look, I please don't, this, this may get me in trouble too. Thanks for permission. There are pastors who are manipulative. 
They will prey on your emotions through their words or through their mannerisms. There are pastors that'll get up and cry every Sunday. And they'll cry until somebody comes forward, gives their life to Jesus. You may be here till two o'clock and they run, get a headache from crying so much. And they may cry all the time and get all emotional. And there are people who get fired up and pound on a podium. There are people who stand up and wag their finger at you. There are people who get up and say that they're ashamed or or that you're not doing this or not doing that. And that this is what this means and you need to do it. We didn't get enough money today, so let's pass the plate again. We've never passed it twice here. But I can tell you this right now. But if I told you that there was someone in this congregation that needed $1,000 before they walked out of here today and we passed the offering plate, we'd get $1,000, if not more. I know that would happen. I know you'd go dig, and you'd do that what you needed to do. But see, we're manipulative. But we want everybody's trust. Trust comes when you tell the truth. That's what Paul says right here. Paul says that, look, I didn't try to fool you with hidden things or any kind of craftiness or adulterating the word, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. If people are blind to the word of God, it's because of the things of this world are in the way. If people who are a part of this congregation want to sit at home and not, some can't come to church and I get that, but some just don't come to church. Something's between you and God. If you're not here because of someone else that does come here, that's between Something has come, you've allowed someone to come between you and God. There's no excuse. There's none. I'm tired. You're not tired. You haven't worked to the point of death. I need a break. So does everybody else. I just don't want to go. That's the better word for it. I just don't want to go. You know, I can remember about three times in the life of ministry, times of my life, once once as a pastor, once as a staff person, where it was unrestrained. And, you know, if you've ever been a part of that, you never forget it. Um, I can remember when everybody wanted to be at church. And a couple of times in the life of the ministry, over 20 years, I've seen it a couple of times. Once on staff, and then once as a pastor, where everybody was just dying to get to church so that they could see what God was going to do that day. And we were seeing people saved, and we were seeing lives transformed. And that was, it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it had nothing to do with the student ministry. 
had nothing to do with the children's ministry, had nothing to do with what songs were being said, sung by the choir or no choir. They didn't have anything to do with the lights or anything to do with the sound or anything to do with the videos and the cool stuff that we had scrolling before and after. It didn't have anything to do with anything other than the presence of God. Because here's what it is. It's not what we do or how we do it. It is who we are. It's who we are. It's who we are. That's what makes the difference. A spiritual innovation. Every individual in this room, every individual in this room is a unique manifestation of the presence and the power and the spirit of God. Everyone, everyone in this room is a unique manifestation of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Everybody. And everybody has meaning to God. And everybody is important to that. And if you are not here, there is a hole. And if you're not engaged, there is a hole. And if you're not doing what you need to do to fulfill what God has laid on your heart, then you're being disobedient. And that's, that's me as well. We're all, every single one of us, important to the Lord. You've been brought to this place. There's a power and a purpose and an intent for you being here. You. And I get it. This is a family church, and there's a lot of family lineages that are here. But this is not about grandmama and grandpapa. This is not about people's names who are on these um, stained glasses anymore. It's about the people who are here. It's not about what it was like. It's about what is, it, what is it now. It's who we are. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the, for, for the gospel by God. What was he set, for, set, set apart for? Was he set apart for Baptist, Baptist churches? No. Was he, was he set apart as... A member of such and such family? No. He was set apart for the gospel of God. The good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. So this is a continuation from what I just finished up there just before. He goes on to say here, he says, We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what does he say? I'm not here to preach Tim Hunter. I know I joke about myself a lot, but y'all know me. There's warts. There's weaknesses. There's bad Tim. But at the same time, there's the power and the presence of Christ in my life. And I don't try to preach about myself. I may tell stories, but most of the time those are screw-ups. Where you try to learn something. 
or I talk about my wife who's got a long ways to go. Y'all pray for her. Y'all notice how I do this stuff when she's not here? When she is here, I'm really good. Have y'all noticed that? He says, I'm not preaching myself. I'm here to preach Christ crucified. He's the only one that's going to make a difference in your life. He's the only one that's going to be able to help you through what you're hurting through. Or what you're working through. Or what you're striving towards. But you are a chosen race. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are a people of the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, think about all the things that you didn't have, that now you do have. We like to think about all the things that we don't have that we want. I'm going to tell you something. Be just flat honest with you. I saw all these children go back here today. That's cool. It really is. But when we get a heart, heart and a passion for more children, God will send more children. We can paint the walls back there. We've changed the carpet. We can make it fancy looking. We can draw things on the wall. We can put verses back there. We can make it look all kinds of crazy things. I know churches that make it look like a street and the kids go get to go down and they go into different buildings and rooms and all kinds of neat stuff. We need ours to look like that. No, we don't. We don't. We need people who want to love on kids. And guess what? People that want to love on kids, kids are going to show up. I started in student ministry. Ooh, it's 12. Preacher's going long today. I'll tell you that story another day. Let me just tell you this. I started with two. And I didn't know what I was doing. I took a bunch to camp. I'd start with two or three. When I left five and a half years later, there were 40. And I was doing, oh man, all-nighters, lock-ins with, I did a lock-in one time with over a hundred and something kids. It was crazy. It was crazy stuff. I did not know what I was doing. I had not been seminarily trained. But God knew what he's doing. God knew what he's doing. Last scripture is this. James chapter 2, verse 18 and verse 26, and I'll close in prayer. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, also faith without works is dead see it's our faith that causes us to go to work 
We don't work to try to have faith. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that inspires us to go and do it. And there, there are hard days. But I can tell you this, a few weeks ago, there was less than 40 people here. We were in the 30s. And I have learned, not always at the beginning, but I have learned that I'm going to preach just as hard if there's 30 people in the room or if there's 300 or if there's 3,000. Because somebody was here today because God needed you to hear what was said. Not because of Tim, but because of him. And we can't ever let down. So if there's two kids show up back here, we're going to have children's ministry. If there's 20 kids back here, we're going to have children's ministry. Do you get it? We're not moved to try to make people come here. But if we move, God will make people come here. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power and the presence of, of you in our lives. Father, I just pray that as the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves within us, that we will be inspired to be who we've been called to be, to do what we've been called to do. Not because we think it's going to make us more holy, but because you've told us to do it. May the world see our faith through our works because all the world is doing is trying to work their way to faith. Transform us. Transform the world. These things we pray now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. You